Live from New York City, it's The Gary Null Show. And now, your host, Gary Null. Hi, everyone. I'm Gary Null. It's really nice to have you with us today. When this uh, January 1st day, 2021, I spend this one day a year talking about lessons learned from the previous year, 2020, and hopefully lessons to be learned in 2021. First, I just want to go over for the first part of our program because the second part I think you're going to find very interesting. What do all of us need? What do we need to get beyond the hate politics we have from the left and the right, the stupidity and vulgarity, the intellectual vacuous nature of the woke generation? What do we need to get by to understand that our cities should not be allowed to crumble and decay into fallen misuse and violence? What do we need to do to get back into our lives, to get out of these quarantines, to realize that this virus, this pandemic, has been as much about, about controlling us and our behavior than it is about helping protect us. So we're in a state of being angry at just about everything, angry at the media, rightly so, left and right, where people use their, their forms as bully pulpits and they have their, their ideology. They're trying to shove it down our throats. We don't want that. We don't want the politic. We don't want the media bias. We don't want the fake news. We don't want to be censored. We, we don't want to have a legitimate question and go to Google and it denies us any access to that information because it, Google, doesn't want us to know that there are questions about GMOs, about 5G, about global warming, about vaccines, about COVID. They don't want us to know, and hence they believe they have the right to keep that from us. So it's easy to see why a lot of people are frustrated. So what do we do? I believe we have to start over. It was interesting because I read a, uh, an email that came to me this week from Luann, who had got, received it from a person who had attended one of the retreats, anti-aging retreat. And in this particular email, she talked about what she learned. And it was a powerful lesson, but it didn't have anything to do with the juicing or the exercising uh, the meditation, the green time, those were all important, but that's not what really turned her life around and gave her a whole new perspective. It was about understanding that all healing comes from within, self-healing. Now, the best that medicine can do is interrupt the diseasing process. That can save our lives and does frequently. But an emergency medicine is phenomenal. I fully support it and always have. You have a heart attack, you have a stroke, you're in a car wreck, you want the best of our emergency care. But when it comes to what do we do every day to honor that day, to honor our body, our heart, our mind, our lungs, our intuition, our creativity, that has to come from within us. There's no pill for that. No magical solution, pollution, uh, solution or or any type of alchemy, we have to be responsible. 
But for that frequently, you need some, you need an epiphany. You need an awakening. You need to say, aha, now I see the solution. It was right in front of me. And then you begin your journey. It's starting over. So I believe that we all have to start over. And so the second half of this program today is a discussion about starting over. And I hope that you can find it of interest and maybe motivate you in this new year to really realize you have more power and control over your lives than what you might have anticipated or thought. And my job is to try to empower you in your journey, to be there as a support system for you, so that if there's something you need that you don't have an insight, I can provide it. Now, quickly to go through, when I look back this morning at what had happened in this past year, it was simply one of the most um, prolific years of my life because of the crisis, COVID crisis. I've published over 60 articles in the past 12 months. Now, these are not little articles. The, I consider it one of the most in, invasive, intrusive, biochemically destructive technologies. And yet the media, the New York Times, is one of the co-sponsors of this whole movement, is only showing us the positive public relations side of that. They're not showing us the tens of thousands of study of its deleterious effects. So I did articles on 5G, did articles on COVID, many articles, because yes, it's a real virus. Yes, it's killing people, but it needn't kill people if we simply looked at ivermectin and uh, hydroxychloroquine and zinc and azithromycin, because the clinical studies and the laboratory studies, of which there are hundreds, show that both of those drugs work. Now, mind you, in no time in my history have I been advocating mainstream medicines, mainstream drugs. But when mainstream drugs work, especially in helping either prevent COVID in nurses and doctors, especially those working around these people, in the clinicians working in nursing homes, assist living centers, you should have that because if you're protecting yourself from getting COVID by something as inexpensive, a 65-year-old drug that has been used by four and a half billion people and has got the proof, scientific proof and clinical proof that it works, why not? Then I had to show the politics, the Anthony Fauci politics, the pharmaceutical politics. So you have to take away the problem piece by piece, deconstruct it, and show each part of that how much money is going to be made by these people. And then you have to show the reputations background of these people, that these are not good people. These are not nice people. These people have been lying to us for decades. They've been giving us bad medicines, knowing that these medicines will harm people, even kill them. But they knew it and did it anyhow. Therefore, they had malice aforethought. Yet they were not harmed individually. They were not, no reputation was shamed or destroyed. They profited from it. So the system is corrupt. The system should say that when you find that a company knowingly exploited the public's fear or need for a particular drug and you profited from it, you should lose your charter. The people responsible should go to prison. So I exposed a lot of that. Also, I wrote a lot about vaccines and the lack of safety and efficacy. Now, I'm pro-vaccine. Absolutely. Who wouldn't be? If you could prevent a disease 
that could kill people, that was shown to be safe and effective, with no harmful side effects, of course you're going to be pro that. It's just I haven't found one. Now, I'm looking. I've spent over 30,000 hours over the last 30 years researching vaccines. And I do not find the independent scientific proof that they are what they say they are. In fact, all you have to do, if you doubt me, is go to any toxicological journal and look under the ingredients like polysorbate 80, uh, the mercury, aluminum as an adjuvant, uh, formaldehyde, all the things that are put into vaccines. They're all toxic, and they're toxic at levels beyond even the limit that the federal health agencies suggest are safe in the body. And you're giving that not to an adult. You're giving it to, you know, a six, eight-pound baby. And so it's, and it's political also. Because hepatitis B, for example, there, there are at least five vaccines that shouldn't be given at all because there's no basis for them. But if you really understood the immune system, you'd understand why that mother being healthy and breastfeeding is the best vaccination you can give. But we're not promoting breastfeeding. We're not promoting an understanding of immunology. So we're told that only the vaccine can immunize you. It's wrong. It's, it's fraud. So I'm exposing that. So I did a lot of articles on vaccines and on economics and also several articles this year on how we could have a universal healthcare system for less than half of what we're spending now. We would save money and everybody who wanted to be in the program would be. So nobody would go bankrupt. Nobody would uh, fear going to a, uh, an emergency room uh, like a friend of mine went who just had a stomach ache, was there, sat there. They gave him an ice pack and, and gave him a saline solution, a dollar bag of uh, salt water. And that was it. And uh, charged him $10,000. And he had to pay it. So we've seen the trusting professional groups to protect your interest with state-of-the-art preventative medicine does not exist in the United States. And to see that everyone is treated fairly is also not at their agenda. Making profit is. So we can change the system if we stop using their existing system and protest. But we have to, we have to protest. So that has been a lot of what I've done this year. Separately, on a personal level, and this is the only time I'll talk about this, I've written four new books. One of them is here on my desk in front of me. It's 1,031 pages long, and my agent says, too long, too long, cut it back. So i got to cut it back. Uh, it's a sequel to Living in the Moment, Prescription for the Soul. But then I wrote another manuscript, which was a sequel to the sequel. As if 1,000 pages was enough to share my insights, I did another one, which is 600 pages. So in the next two months, I'll have those two manuscripts ready to go uh, to the publishing. I have five new books that will be printed, published over the next five months. I'm bringing out something I've never done in my career, a book a month. And these are big books. Also this year, I have written dozens of articles challenging Wikipedia's legitimacy. Walk away from Wikipedia, Wikipedia, uh, because in my personal opinion, it is the most nefarious, vile organization in the world right now. 
They destroy people's reputations with impunity and we're fighting back. Within the next two weeks, we will be serving lawsuits. We have a team of lawyers around the world who will be and have been involved in this. The fact that they haven't heard anything, I'm assured that uh, from people who are whistleblowers on the inside who have supplied us a lot of information, that, oh, you know, nobody ever wins against Wikipedia. That's true up to this point, but I'm taking a different strategy. We'll be having a press conference on the day of the law, filing of the lawsuits. You can then see what we've done and our strategy. But a lot of articles written, so if you go to... <clears throat> If you go to prn.fm and look under articles or the new site of a brand new site, garyandall.com, and another brand new site that will be, it's just getting operational. We have probably a thousand articles to upload and at least a hundred films. It's called Vaccine Nation. And again, it's, it's got articles now. It's got, I think, four or five films now, but we're going to add a tremendous amount of information to it. And by the way, we validate the information before we post it so that credible, scholarly, accurate information is posted. Nobody can win just post stuff on their own. Um, I counseled over 1,000 people this year. That average is out to about three a day, but there's some Sundays where I can counsel 10 people. And uh, so I'll continue my counseling, only terminally ill people, by the way. I did over 400 lectures this year. I filmed about 200, and now this year I'm going to be bringing people in to edit those. We did four documentaries this year, and the current one, we have one that's two weeks from being completed. I have another one that is on the, I, we filmed every aspect of the anti-aging studies, and that's probably four weeks from being completed. Both those will be released shortly. And the most important one is on is called Last Call for Tomorrow. We've been averaging two to three awards per week. Um, best writer, best director, best film, best environmental film. And if our figures are correct, we've won more awards or had more finalist positions than any documentary ever produced. I think we're we're heading towards 175 now may hit 200. That, if you don't think that's unusual, ask any documentarian how hard it is to get a film accepted, just accepted into a film festival, let alone becomes a finalist. There are multiple steps with multiple judges who are experts in the field of your documentary who have to judge it and its value, let alone actually winning. And we've so that film will be shown. I'm going to do world premieres over Zoom. We've set up a studio down here at my animal sanctuary in Florida where I don't have to fly back to New York um, in order to do uh, Zoom lectures. I did, I did five webinars this year. I'll do 10 webinars this coming year, a full studio setup. And so as of probably a week from now, every noon show will be video streamed, so you'll be able to watch it. So we've got that going. Um, I helped four homeless people this year, and uh, these are all deserving people. You have to go through a screening process. You can't just go out and take someone off the street and say, hey, you want, you know, come on, I'll feed you and help you. 
because you have to know there's a big downside. I've experienced that downside, theft and, and uh, people going, you know, pe people going off the rails, drug addictions, etc. So you learn. So you take your time and you screen and you see who is deserving, who, who is likely to start their life over, who's, who's going to be a better person because you got involved in them. So those people are doing great. And in fact, two of those people will be telling their stories in the near future because they will have made recoveries from diseases and recoveries from the mindset that allowed them to become homeless to begin with. Also, I spent this year finalizing the construction and of the Veterans Village. I'll be taking in initially 10, then 20 individuals who are homeless vets, and we'll be providing them with the professional psychological counseling, but humanistic psych psychological counseling from humanistic uh, PhDs in psychology. They'll be detoxified. Um, they'll be helped with uh, their post-traumatic stress disorder. They'll be helped in, with the sergeant major who will be overseeing it, someone they can identify with, because the sergeant major is the person that keeps everyone in the straight and narrow and, and saves their lives. And so we're lucky there. And they'll be eating only organic food, and they'll have wonderful recreation, lots of green time. So we'll be, we're, we're just in the final stages. I have one more structure to put together, uh, which will be a gym where they'll be able to work out. And, and uh, then also I'm starting a retirement home for dogs. Because right now the sad fact is that when some people who fed canned dog food or you know dry, crappy food to their dog, their dogs are prematurely aged. They don't get the exercise, they don't get the attention that they deserve. And so instead of having these dogs taken to the vet and putting them down and or abandoning them, and we see that, um, this will be a place where it'll be about 10 acres. That's a lot of land. And they'll have, I'm, I'm going to build in the next three months, I'm going to build a, a brick building. Uh, and would, will, will be air conditioning and heated, so they'll have indoor-outdoor, no matter what the weather. If it's too hot to come in, too cold, uh, you know, they'll be warm. And I'll build a vet um, room there also, so if there's a need to operate or need to do medical procedures, I'll have a vet on call. But then I'll have people who will be taking care of the animals, the dogs. And then I'm going to do something that we're filming. I'm going to show you how I, my dogs will live 22, 23 years and still would be alive had some person not ran over them in a car. Stupid person was on drugs. And uh, interesting because I saw it happening. I called that morning and I said to this, don't let anyone on the property today. Don't let anyone under any circumstance. Oh, okay. And of course, they let someone on the property. The person ran over my dogs. In any case... Um, that's why I'm taking care of my animals instead of people who, whoa. In any case, um, I had 
I had the longest lived lemur, ringtail lemur, in history. 33 years of age. Still be alive. She was poisoned. And uh, there's a downside to having places because you never know what your neighbors can do or some stupid person. But they don't ha- it doesn't happen often. But it, when it does, it's a tragedy. But Cat 25, um, even now, Sprout's 18. Just happy as can be. Healthy. Do you brush your dog's teeth every day? You should. That's how come they end up losing their uh, teeth. So I'm going to have a place where the dogs are treated with a healthy, healing, anti-aging diet. I'm going to reverse their aging. I'm going to reverse their disease, disease, cancer, hip dysplasia, fleas, poor coat, everything. There's no reason we had the knowledge to do this. You ought to see my dogs eat better than humans. And forget it, the monkeys, the monkeys get 24 fresh fruits and vegetables a day. I'm out picking most of it in the morning. And then I go to the farmer's market out on Mockley and get the stuff, the papaya, the pineapple, everything. And now I'm growing, or we'll be growing this. Also this year, we've got a whole hydroponic project going on, a freeze-drying project going on, mushroom room project going on, sprout project going on. All ideas a year, here go reality now. In fact, the next group of people coming to the retreat will be able to see this. You know, that's going to be a substantial part of the juicing and foods they're eating, all grown on property. I want to get the average American to start becoming more self-sufficient and growing things for themselves. So the Veterans Village, that's coming. The Animal um, Retirement Home for Dogs, where they'll be able to play together and be bonded and have people who love them every day, that's coming. And that's also for the vets because vets need to bond with dogs too. And um, the sequels, five new books. Now, by the way, that's five new books. That does not include the two sequels that are coming. So seven books over the next seven months. And so let's see what else I'm doing. Um, I'm leading new campaigns this year, but I, I will do it in person where appropriate. Otherwise, I'll be doing it by uh, Zoom. Um, and we're going to start going to the streets and fighting back. We're going to push back, I should say. Ours are nonviolent, peaceful. But we're going to push back. We're going to push back to save our cities, push back to save our rights to our, our, our body being used and abused. We're going to prevent that. We're going to push back against authority figures. I'm going to be exposing Anthony Fauci starting today, or uh, no, starting tomorrow. We're going to be um, we're going to take on a lot of important social causes. So those are just some of the things that I'm addressing, have in the last year. Lost three good friends, one a 50-year friend, Barry Farber. Barry hit 90, one of the single greatest minds I've ever met in my life. I knew that he could speak and write and read 32 languages. How many more than that, I don't know. He was just one of the most progressive, hip people. He had some conservative political views, but on all levels, he was uh, he was a wonderful person. Buzzy Linhart. Buzzy lived with me for a period of time when he was going through a rough place in his life and uh, helped him get his health together, his mind together. He passed. He wrote, co-wrote uh, Bette Miller's Gotta Be Friends, her big hit. Did a lot of good music, wonderful personality. And uh, 
someone that the public wouldn't know, but people who call the office would for years and years, a 40-year friend, Bill Thompson. Interesting because Bill didn't have to die. And that's what's happened to so many of my friends. They just don't give themselves the time and discipline to change. Even when you're asking them, they, they prefer their comforts, unfortunately. They will be remembered. So that's just a little look back and look forward. Now let's go to a discussion of how we can take that which does not work in our life, appreciate which does, and start to change the negative to the positive. It's an exchange. It's an energy exchange. Because when I say I can't do something, my cells will not allow me to do it. My mind will not allow me to create a positive outcome. However, if I say I can do it, then I'm opening myself up. I'm allowing my cells to be in the zone, meaning there is no straitjacket placed on an idea. That's how Bannister broke the four-minute mile, and suddenly, within weeks, other people broke even his record. What were they waiting on? Belief it can be done. So you have to start your belief systems over, that you can only work in one area, only work in one career. You can only have one kind of relationship. You can only experience one type of culture, one type of ethnicity, one type of food, one type of uh, place to travel to. It's not true. You can start over and look at the wonderment and beauty and interests and complexities of all of life's potential. But you have to be willing to start over. So with starting over, you're breaking through limiting patterns. And therefore, there is no scarcity. There's abundance of wonderful people, unconditional love. Start over. Look, we've all made very foolish errors in judgment in our time. If we haven't been patient with people, if we haven't been accepting enough of people, if we didn't really understand someone, maybe someone could not communicate. We're not all, you know, able to communicate easily. Some people are shy. That does not mean that they don't have feelings. Doesn't mean they don't have ideas. Don't mean that they are not aware. It's just that it's not easy for them to share. So, if we have been rushing to judgment when we shouldn't have, when we should have been patient, then realize that's a lesson to learn, to apply forward. Also, the final thing is, I think it's time we all realized that we can never relive another moment, but we should really savor the remarkable and uniqueness of the moments we lived in and only judge them from the moment we were in. Because if you try to judge anything four months, four weeks, four years after an event, you change your perception, and therefore you alter what was. And so we have to understand that when we capture a moment of uniqueness, that's unique. You know, I don't have to rationalize it. I don't have to justify it. No, it's what it was. Let it be what it is. Now, can you, can you reignite old relationships? Yes and no. Yes, if the reason you no longer had a relationship was because of miscommunication, improper communication, 
incomplete harmonizing. And therefore you come back and you say, what do you have, what do I have that we would like to reharmonize in this moment going forward? Then if both people would start over, start now going forward, reharmonizing with what they are, they're going to be more mature in most cases, they're going to be wiser in most cases, they'll have a lot more um, a lot more pain from their life experiences, we all do, and but also they have a lot more wisdom. Therefore, you could have even a better relationship than what you had in the past if you start over. You can't just pick something up and say, okay, this is where we left off, we continue. Things have changed, everything has changed. As the saying is, you can't step twice in the same stream. Water's always flowing. But if you want to start over, start over if both are of a mind to do so. So I think we have to give ourselves new beginnings, new remarkable moments. And you can only do that if you open yourself up to it. We, we live hiding behind a wall that is made up of our failures, our incompleteness, our betrayals, our suffering, our insecurities, our uncertainties. And so that that protects us, but it also imprisons us. You have to be vulnerable. You have to take risks. You have to be willing to fail. And then you're going to grow. So going from breaking down with limitations and scarcity of everything, scarcity of trusting people or scarcity, no, break through. Just be wiser in the choices you make. I'm Gary Knoll. We're starting off 2021 with just this program. Now let's complete it with looking at how can we start over. I wish I could go to sleep and wake up a year from now and just be past all the hassles and all the crisis and all the problems that I'm dealing with. And unfortunately, we can't go to sleep, though frequently we act as if we're asleep. What our program is going to be today is for those people who are really sick and tired of being sick and tired, who are tired of relationships that haven't worked, and want desperately for their life to work, but are willing to be open, just for this two hours, open to a new perspective as to how we can change. It's about starting over. Now, I am of the belief that in every single person here, you have the capacity to change fundamentally who you are, what you're doing, and how you feel. I do not accept the notion that we should all have to go out to 12-step programs and countless therapy sessions, go out and read every self-actualization book, and still stay enamored trying to deal with the past when we keep using the past as an excuse to not actualize the present. If you cannot get out of the past, you have no future. The past is your future. The past is your present. Well, I think you've spent enough time in the past. I also think you've spent enough time seeing what does not work. But you have to suspend judgment. You have to be very vulnerable during this talk in order to even accept that there is another way of dealing with crisis and problems. If we're not open to that potential, then we have no future. Why? Because we keep going back to the same ways of looking at the same issues. If you were a battered child, if your father was an alcoholic, if your mother uh, gave you mixed messages. She said, oh, come here, and then she was harsh on you when you did. As a child, you don't know how to respond to this. 
until the age of at least five or six, you don't even have an intellectual mechanism for self-survival. All you do up to that point is when you've been abused or hurt or denied or where there's any dysfunction shared with you, you try to adapt to it. You try to look at every single inflection, posturing, intonation in the voice, and try to understand, am I going to be accepted and loved or hurt and rejected? That's all you know. So you're, you become a creature of emotional adaptation. The trouble is, it doesn't end at that point. That's what you do as an adult. You start looking at the people in your lives to see who is doing something that's going to be supportive of you or challenge you. And if you weren't able to survive, and if you didn't have proper functioning as a child, the likelihood is as an adult you're going to carry that same manifestation on. You're continuing the same process. We don't just stop it. It becomes a part of us. It becomes a part of our pattern of behavior. So a boss figure comes in, and if the boss figure represents the authority figure of the mother or father, and if there was not unconditional love in that mother and father, what you're going to perceive of is, I've got to watch what they're doing, how they're talking to me, what their eyes are reading to me, what their body language is, and then I will learn how to respond accordingly. I will hold my tongue. I will not say anything. I will look away with my eyes. I do not want to stare in the eye of someone who is going to be aggressive towards me. I will look down. I do not want to self-actualize. Or I will feel disempowered, and I will feel hurt, and I will build up a rage, and I'll walk around with a chronic anger, and I won't know how to displace it. So I'll sublimate it. I'll create patterns of behavior that allow me to act normal on the outside to the whole world, but I'm going to manifest my anger through compulsive working, addictive behavior, perfectionistic attitude. Maybe if I make myself seem as if I'm so critical of perfection that other people will not challenge me. Or I'll become sexually addictive, or relationship addictive, or food addictive, or gambling, or spending, or chronic busyness. The thousand ways that people manifest contempt for self because they never knew when to start changing the patterns of behavior because no one was there to encourage them. And by the time someone was, you were already set in stone. Unfortunately, most people spend most of their life re reliving those experiences. Recently, down to the Healing Springs Ranch, we were having a workshop. During the workshop, people were suggesting that they had gone through a magnificent sweat lodge and talking stick ceremony. The talking stick is a Native American tradition where you talk to the spirit of your consciousness, to the spirit, whether you call it God or any other higher self, through the sacred stick. And through all religions and through all cultures, there are symbols that represent, in the mythological sense, something that is empowering. Whether it's the shaman, the healer, the reeb, the pope, we all have symbols that we turn to when we feel that our own power is not enough to justify or to explain our own life or feel comfortable in it. We seek out that which we have comfort has the answer. Well, one of the Native Americans have a talking stick, and it is believed that through the stick it is a part of nature and all knowledge comes, so people talk out. And when you hear people talking out, they're talking out anger and resentment and how they didn't get what they needed in love and attention and respect. And they were disempowered, and they were made to feel stupid 
and then you go through the sweat lodge, which itself is a healing process. And that's all fine. And then there's journal writing. You write letters of forgiveness. And you read the letter, and you forgive so you can let go. Now, what I find interesting is that a month later, the very same people were back for a reunion, and it was a great reunion. We had a lot of fun and learned a lot. But the very same ceremonies they went through, they experienced the same thing all over again. The same shouting, the same screaming, the same pounding, the same letters. That told me they didn't let go the first time. They were using it as a game. And if I did it next week, they'd be screaming again, letter writing again. You've got to realize, it's telling you that you haven't let go. When you keep coming back to the same issues over and over again, you're not letting go. And there's a reason why, and I'm going to get with all this, because I'm a belief that we've got to let that go. We've got to acknowledge we either want to be in the present or the past. Which ones are going to be? It's about choices. And let's begin the process. I'm going to be asking you questions. And from these questions, I feel that if you're honest, and I'm not asking you to do this now, these are questions that you can spend time, reflective, introspective time on. This is not for you to ask anyone. Even if you're here as a couple, and we have many couples, your answer is not going to be the same as the other person. You do not have to have common experiences from the same question. It's yours alone. First, before we can have a new beginning, we have to ask ourselves, what are our limits? I can't do anything unless I know what my limits are. We have to prepare for a new beginning, and what we're going to do now is prepare for a new beginning. All right, how do we begin? I make a list, and on the list, and I keep a chart in my room in my office, and I have a list of my limits. Now, there are two ways of looking at your limits. The limits that others have imposed upon you, including gender and society and family, and the limits you've imposed upon yourself with I can't, I shouldn't, it's not for me, I don't have the knowledge, the power, I don't have the control, the finances, I don't have the wherewithal, those self-imposed limits. Now add to that the limits of society. You're a woman, what are you doing? You can't do this. Remember, until not long ago, women weren't allowed to run marathons. They were physically barred from doing a marathon because the stupidity of the male model said physiologically your body can't handle it. Not only is that kind of rampant sexism still prevalent and absolutely dominant in medicine, but in all policymaking, with exceptions noted, the general rule is most men are dysfunctional. And I say that because I have to deal with these men. And I deal with what they perceive of as others' limitations in their own. Because you didn't have other men coming to the defense of women saying, yes, a woman should do a marathon, a woman should be in the Olympics, a woman should have the same opportunities we do. A woman should get the same pay, same work. Do you know that most sexism on the workplace when surveys were done were not because men wanted to have sex with women? Most sexual harassment, the vast majority of sexual harassment on the job occurred from men who felt threatened by the woman being better at what that 
job represented and the man was afraid of the competition. So the only way the man could deal with the woman was not through fair and a free enterprise competitive system, who does it best? Instead, let me demean her, denounce her, ridicule her, let me make her feel uncomfortable about her own sexuality in this environment, let me make others make her feel bad about who she is so that they will lose respect. I'll objectify her. So it's a way of demeaning. No different than through the South and other parts of the world where for centuries black men were considered boys. Call a black man a boy and you take away his power in the eyes of those who accept the word has power. And unfortunately, even in the minds of many Afro-American men, a lot of what they were doing is overcoming the stigma that even their own culture had accepted, both intellectually and emotionally. So we've got a lot to overcome. And right at the beginning, you've got to ask, where did your limits come from? Because it's my bet that most of you have not done what you should be doing in life and have not actualized your own life because you've been living by artificial standards. Intellectually, you have not grown because you were told not to. Stay in your place. Raise children. Breed children. You're a breeding machine. You're a biological breeding machine. Be the mistress. Be the housekeeper. But do not think you can compete intellectually. That was the message sent out. Now there are more women running the marathon than men. And physiologically, they're better adapted. There are more women finishing the marathon ahead of men. They were right. A year and a half, uh, three years ago, there was a woman who came to the park. A woman, 67 years old, senior citizen, retired school teacher. Her name is Queenie Thompson. Queenie Thompson is an Afro-American, so she had three minority elements going against her. A woman, Afro-American, and a senior citizen. And we had a running clinic, and I said to the people here, I don't care how slow you are today. Today starts the process. Don't look at immediate results. Plan your life for the long term, not the short term gain. But I promise you this, if you stick with this and you believe as much in yourself as I believe in you, the day will come when you'll be a model for change for human beings of all backgrounds. Well, we went out and she was the last one. There were about 400 people. She was the last. In fact, she was so slow, when I, I asked one of the people uh, who were there, I said, is everyone in? Yeah. And someone says, well, no, there's someone still way down there. So I went down and she was just barely moving. Just, I mean, just like this, just barely moving. And she was overweight and she had some problems physically. And I went down the hill at 72nd Street in Central Park and I said, uh, how are you feeling? She said, oh, she said, Gary, I, this isn't going to be for me. I said, why not? She said, well, I was kidding myself. I mean, my friend said I was stupid to come out here. It's a Sunday morning, you know, I should be with them out on the boardwalk talking about our aches and pains and, you know, <laughs> and, and who had a bowel movement and who didn't and what color was it and, and how long did it take and, uh, and, and how often we're seeing our doctor and when our children called or why they didn't and, 
and uh, how fearful we are and looking at every person as a potential mugger and feeling helpless. She said, that's how I grew up. And she said, maybe I should be back there. I said, where do you want to be? She said, well, I want to be here. I said, I only care where your mind wants to be. I'm not concerned about your body. I care about the mind. If your mind wants to be here, then you let it be here. Now, you're going to be competing with all those people because those people are going to want you back where you belong. And please understand, Queenie, every week that you come back and you feel better about yourself is going to make them feel worse about you. Because everybody who gets healthy, everybody who gets their act together, they hold up a reflection to those who haven't got it together. And you're going to get a lot of negative feedback. Handle that and everything else will handle itself. So she kept coming back and she was still the slowest. And she was with a man at 76 years old named Mortimer. And Mortimer couldn't even walk. I thought there was something wrong with his legs. He was wobbling all over like this and he couldn't get his balance. And he again said, you know, this isn't for me, I don't think. And I said, Mortimer, if you want it to be for you, then don't place limits. Do you want to do this? And he said, yes. And then I asked this question, how healthy do you want to be? Do you want to be a little healthy, a lot healthy, as healthy as a human being can be? He said, I want to be as healthy as I can be. I said, fine. So he and Queenie both agreed. We kept encouraging them. They kept coming back. They never lost sight of the goal. And every time a voice came into their ear and said, oh, that's stupid, what are you doing? Act your age, act your age, act your age. They kept allowing that to go through them. And what they replaced it with is, I'm changing my age. I'm getting younger. Mentally, I'm going to have fun. You're old and you have no fun left in your life. You've got prunes, milk and cookies and nighty nights. I want something else. I don't want to be in a condominium in Florida waiting to die. That's what she said. This past Saturday in Spokane, after the national championship for the 23rd time in three years, Queenie mounted the podium to take the gold medal. She's 70 years old. Right now, at 70, Queenie is a world champion. She won two gold medals at the International Games. That's the best athletes not only of America, but the whole world. From every country they came to compete in Finland, she took two golds and a silver. Now, Queenie Thompson is a completely different person. She has changed her personality. She is vivacious. Her body is that of a 25-year-old. Her body fat is that of a lean tough athlete. Her disposition is positive, her health is dynamic, her cholesterol, her triglycerides, her blood pressure, her skin tone, the wrinkles gone. Her skin is as smooth as a baby's. No cellulite, not a ripple of fat on her body. And she doesn't come in last, she comes in first. My idea is that in every human being there is a champion. Every human being. I've never worked with a person ever in my life who didn't become the best at what they could be. And that starts by accepting that you must have a new limit. Don't set your limits where you have been. 
set your limits where you want to go. Otherwise, we stop where we have been, and we never go through it. That's the first rule. Forget the rules you've been taught. They're for a conditioned self, not for the new self. By the way, there were four other people who took gold, too, and all senior citizens. What or whom controls us? Before you're going to have a new beginning, you better understand what it is that you're afraid of, because the moment you go to say, all right, I'm going to start over, I'm going to have a new life, a new relationship, a new attitude, I'm going to have a whole new me, and that feels good. Now, if you were, if you were the only person in your life, you could do that. But you have hundreds of people in your life from the past who taught you about control. So now you were taught authority is control. We were taught to believe in authority. So the authority figure says to us, what are you going to do? You're going to start taking vitamins? Why? Well, because I, I thought that if I took some vitamin C, it could help my immune system. And if I took some vitamin C, Eat an orange. You don't need vitamins. But I read some literature and it showed that vitamin C helped stimulate antiviral and help the skin and help the muscle. I'm the doctor. Who are you going to believe? Your own experience or my word? And we will deny our own experience and believe the authority. So immediately we're controlled by all the authority figures. So look at the authority figures in your life because the control and power over your life is going to be dictated by the reality that they told you to accept. But reality is a matter of perception, but they've even controlled your perception. Let me give you an example. I had two people coming to the park, two men. Now, these are regular Joes. They work, uh, both ironically work for the city. One is a sanitation worker and one is a police officer. And they came on Sunday mornings for about six months and they did the marathon and they were a lot of fun and they're nice guys. One of them kept coming back and still is. The other stopped. So I called the guys home and I said, what happened? What was wrong that you didn't come back anymore? And he didn't want to really tell me. And his wife got on the phone and said, I don't want him coming back. I said, why? He said, well, because it's disrupting our family relationship. And I said, here's an example. Two men, both married, with families. One wife encourages the husband to grow. The healthier he is, the happier he is, and the better the relationship. She doesn't see that he going off to the park for three hours on a Sunday morning and being away from the family for three hours and a whole seven-day week is a threat to the family. He's not growing away from the family. He's enhancing what he shares with the family. So the whole family encourages. The children look at him as a hero. Daddy did the marathon. They were there. It made them very proud of him because they knew what it took to do the marathon. The reality was the same for both. They both came. They both ran. They both did the marathon. The reality was the same. That perception was a healthy one that looked at it as a way of giving freedom to a person to experience something. As a result, the perception of what was being done was positive. The other viewed any growth as a threat to the relationship. 
and therefore made the children even feel that the father being away was depriving the children of attention. So as a result, the children began to complain that the father was away from them. Even though on Sunday mornings, at the time he was out, they never did anything anyhow. And the children never was with him, but it was an excuse. Now, I said, did you watch your husband do the marathon? No, I was with family. She didn't even want to watch or participate. She said, you're going to hurt yourself. It's negative. Uh, you're going to end up injured. We're going to have to pay medical bills. She created a perception of that experience that was so negative that it tried to make him feel such guilt that he had no opportunity to grow from that experience. He had to pull back from his own growth experience. He had to deny his own reality. He had to change his perception to meet hers. Now, when you looked at her, she was overweight. She was a chronically angry person. She looked at the negative in everything. And what she shared was bitterness, cynicism, and mistrust. Never in any conversation that I spoke to her did I ever hear her talk about anything with optimism, openness, vulnerability. Never. And yet the experience was the same. That's what I'm trying to share with you. Reality doesn't have to change. Our perception of it does. So changing your perception of reality is how you grow away from people who've controlled you so you can set new limits. Otherwise, if you, younger in life, if you tried out for a sport and you didn't succeed the first time out, you've made that your perception of that reality. Oh, I can't do it. It's too hard. I'm not fast enough. I'm not strong enough. And therefore, you stay away from things because you put artificial restrictions on yourself. You could just as easily say, I can be as healthy, as fast, as dynamic as anyone out there doing anything. And after all, let's face it, everyone who succeeds in life only does so when they first change their perception that they are going to be a success. No human being can be a success at anything until they think themselves successful. You must see in your mind yourself as successful. You must see yourself as a winner. You must see yourself crossing the finish line. Part of the guided visualization we do when people are training for the marathon is get them to visualize themselves crossing the marathon. When they're training, they visualize crossing the marathon even though they can't even walk a block. Because I don't care about today, I care about the process that leads to when you do this. And that's true of anything. I hope this is going to be a wonderful year for everyone. And it will not always be easy. We will all be faced with different crises. But let's work together. It is the we that matters. Have a nice day.